0: Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. It's a privilege to be here on this Father's Day with you in this beautiful Sunday morning. Last week was a pretty incredible Sunday as well as we celebrated Pentecost together. How many of you were here to hear Charles speak last week? Oh man. What a blessing it was to welcome him here. What a blessing it was to let him be himself and to share with us what it means to be broken so that we can find that breakthrough. And After the service, I was in the lobby and multiple people came up to me and were like, that was incredible. I feel bad for whoever has to preach next week, and that's me. (laughs) And so I am here today, and I don't have a towel to wipe the sweat off my forehead like he did, but I'm excited to be here with you today, and if getting to follow Him was not enough. Today we kick off an incredible sermon series on the topic of anxiety. Good times, are you with me? Amen. Amen. But to be honest with you, I'm actually glad that we are doing this. I'm excited to bring the Word of God to you today, and I'm excited to talk about the topic of anxiety, because the topic of anxiety is something that we need to talk about. It is a topic that is not a new topic. It has been around for years. And as I began to research and study, I realized that this is not a new cultural phenomenon. In fact, if you look at 1 Peter 5, this is what it says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Church anxiety is a struggle it is a battle your anxiety your loved one's anxiety it is a battle satan is prowling around we are under attack and what i see here is that the singular manifestation of attack that peter points to the issue of suffering that brotherhood all over the world are sharing together what he alludes to is anxiety He was writing a long time ago to the church that had been scattered throughout Asia, but it seems that the focal point of the church then was a church that was under attack because of anxiety, and I believe the truth that it's still true today. And so church, because of this, we need to talk about anxiety. We need to realize that it is a serious thing that is in our midst. See, anxiety has debilitating influence on us. It is not an easy thing. About a decade ago, my family began to really intimately understand the debilitating effect of anxiety. My wife began to go through a season where anxiety that she had struggled with, that her family consistently, her aunts and her mom and her sister struggled with, began to become more real to her. It was a stressful season in our life, and the anxiety began to manifest itself with panic attacks. It began to manifest itself with fear and with insomnia. The physical side of it even took place as boils that she still bears the scars for began to take place in her body, and it was a dark season of life. We were paralyzed as a family. It was debilitating. Maybe a year after that, my daughter, who was in fourth grade at the time, began to experience the same thing. She began to experience this panic. And there was a a stretch of probably five or six months where almost weekly, the international school principal would call me and say, hey, you need to come in. She just had a panic attack, and she is frozen with fear. Those were tough drives to the school. My father heart ached as I went in and saw my daughter paralyzed with fear. Somehow... The words of a father or a mother was a safe place, and it would unlock her, and we would go home, and we would hit reset, and we would try again the next day, not knowing if it would end or when it would end, but I know the debilitating effects of anxiety, and I know many of you do as well. Maybe you're not the anxious one. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a spouse, but you know that it has an effect on our life. One of the reasons that anxiety is difficult to talk about is because it's difficult to define. Anxiety, depression, worry, stress, we mix these words, we use them interchangeably, but each one is unique. But our language has become nuanced. The truth is that anxiety actually has a normal beneficial effect to us. Situational anxiety is a good thing. It helps us to adapt. I've experienced a lot of adaptive anxiety over the last couple of months as I've had to teach my oldest daughter how to drive. Absolute loss of control, absolute fear, and I celebrate the fact that she did pass her license exam on Friday, and that is a good thing. And now, the situational anxiety only rises as soon I'm going to have to hand her the keys and let her go without me sitting in the car controlling her every move. But sometimes that situational anxiety becomes too intense. The duration that it lasts, the frequency in which it goes forth begins to take away from our ability to function, our ability to experience well-being. And then situational adaptive anxiety starts to turn into chronic, abnormal anxiety. But church, the best way to define what anxiety is is to hear people's testimonies of what anxiety is to them. And so this morning, I want to share three people's words. The first, to me, anxiety feels like not being good enough, but also being too much. Feels like being in a loud room, but all you can hear are the constant thoughts of not good enough. Everything is falling apart. Anxiety is leaving a social setting and questioning whether I should have said everything I said. Anxiety. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to explain to those who love me. It is a thorn in my flesh and it perplexes me and limits me day in and day out. It is something that weighs me down when I know I can fly. It's the feeling of being sick when I know I'm okay. It is a different level of fear that is irrational and beastly. It is an exhaustion that I wish I could avoid because sometimes... I'm already exhausted. It is the cry that I cry from within because no one understands. It is the need to be in control and the fear of others disapproval, the fear of messing up, the feeling of not being worth enough. It is the mental prison that I put myself in. Third one, for me, anxiety is extremely physical. It's a tight chest, sharp pain, dizziness, faintness. It's me questioning if I can breathe right now. It's Googling symptoms because I feel like I'm actually dying. It's a jail cell where the door is open, but you can't figure out how to use your legs to walk out. It's a thief of joy and of life. Church, take a deep breath. Some of you don't experience anxiety, but your ability to empathize with those that do just went up. Church, not only is it difficult to define it and explain what it feels like, but it's also difficult to understand and discern what the factors that cause anxiety in our lives are. Sometimes they're unseen. It's like Jennifer talked about uh, two weeks ago where the vacuum cleaner's not working over here, but it works when I put it there, but turns out that the problem is that vent that seems like it's okay, and sometimes it's unseen. In his book, My Age of Anxiety, Scott Stossel, he lists these five potential root causes of anxiety. He says there's the health, the medical illness side. This is what Aristotle or the modern, modern pharmacologist would say is the primary reason that people experience anxiety. There's the philosophical problem that Plato or the cognitive behavioral therapist would point to and say, this is the primary reason that you're experiencing anxiety. There's a psychological problem. Maybe it was childhood trauma. Freud would say, this is the main reason people are experiencing anxiety. There's a spiritual condition that we talk about here in church that Kierkegaard would point to and the existentialists would say, this is the primary reason that people experience it. And then there's a cultural condition which more and more people are, are writing about and saying as they have more people experience it, it's almost contagious and people catch it and more people. And it seems like it's almost a, a cultural phenomenon. But the author goes on and he says, the truth is that anxiety is not at once a function of biology and philosophy. Body and mind, instinct and reason, personality and culture. Even as anxiety is experienced at a spiritual and psychological level, it is scientifically measurable at the molecular and the physiological level. It is produced by nature and it's produced by nurture. It is both a psychological and a social phenomenon. In computer terms, it is a hardwire It's a hardware issue. I'm wired badly and it's a software issue. I'm running a faulty program that makes me think anxious thoughts. Church, it's complex. But oftentimes we look at the pie and we keep each of these areas in their own thing, and we say one of these is my issue. But the truth is, picture that pie, take it off there. Picture that it's a real pie that we get to eat. It's a Costco pie sampler with the little cardboard pieces that is keeping everything in its little zone. Now take out all the cardboard pieces, shake it up, mess it up, and now what happens? The pumpkin is now bleeding into the chocolate pudding, and it should not. The apple has now been contaminated by the mincemeat pie, which shouldn't be in the pie sampler because no one likes. Mince- meet. Everything is now messed up. What is happening is the culture is mixing with the philosophical undertones. The spiritual is now intertwined with the medical. And church, oftentimes, we don't know what the root cause really is because oftentimes they're blended together. Church, it is a complex topic, and we need to not just think that it's simple. And before we jump into scripture today, there's two things that I want to do. First, I want to apologize I want to apologize because many of you have grown up in Christian homes where to struggle with anxiety or depression was a strange sign of weakness or lack of faith. You were told to trust more, to figure out what sin in your life was causing it. You were told to read specific scriptures and declare them over yourself. You were told to stop it. You were told, don't worry. His eye is even on the sparrow. And while many of those have truth in them and are steps that we should take, they were even given to you by well-meaning people. It was not what you needed. In fact, it brought a level of condemnation, and all you needed was a listening ear. But church, as Christian leaders, we have often oversimplified anxiety and we have offered simple fixes. I'm sorry that we have done this. I read too many articles, too many sermons that I listened to in the past couple of weeks that gave these simple fixes. A plus B equals a guaranteed fix and freedom of anxiety. We have limited it to a lack of faith issue in church. I don't think it's just a lack of faith issue. I think it is more complex than that. And I hope that you realize you aren't alone if you are an anxiety sufferer. You are normal and you are part of a complex battle that is happening. Second, those root causes that we were looking at, that may be a cause of your anxiety? Can I just say that today we are in a spiritual house and I'm gonna concentrate primarily on the spiritual root cause, but can I just encourage you, your anxiety that has been plaguing you, your struggle with it, would you please consider that part of it could be not a spiritual issue? Part of it could be psychological, part of it might be health, it might be medical, and there are doctors and psychiatric nurse practitioners, and there are counselors even in our midst that God might be asking you to go see because they too are part of His healing arsenal. And so church, would you consider that your struggle is more, that it is more than just a spiritual condition? Would you consider pharmacology and some healing prayer? Would you consider learning some new techniques to take your thoughts captive, but also some spiritual warfare? Could you consider that you need to break some family generational stuff, but you also need to buy a sun lamp off Amazon because you live in Oregon? Could you realize that maybe it's a combination of all of these things, but would you not limit it to just the spiritual realm? Church, as we launch this series, it is our goal to release hope And to help you find new levels of freedom, to help us find new levels of freedom of the anxiety that has been plaguing us. And so today, we bind the enemy from twisting any words and throwing them back at you with condemnation. And instead, we open ourselves, our hearts and our minds, speak your peace today, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2nd Chronicles chapter 20, 2nd Chronicles 20. If you're using the pew Bible in front of you, that's found on page 376. If you're looking for it on your U Version app, scroll down, you'll see Kings after Kings, you'll come to Chronicles. I think I'm right with that. Uh, but we're going to learn a little bit about this guy named Jehoshaphat today. Jehoshaphat was a king the israel kingdom of Israel was divided into there was Israel and Judah. He is the king over Judah at this point. we know a lot about him. He followed his father Asa to the throne and we know in chapter 17 it says that he was a good king. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He removed all the idols and shrines from the kingdom. the lord's favor was on him. Chapter 18, we know that he had a little hiccup. he decided to enter into a Packed with Ahab, the king of Israel. They went to war, even though a prophet of the Lord said, don't go to war. They went to war anyway. They were defeated. He recovered well from that. He came back before the Lord. He humbled himself. He began to hear God was saying, draw the people back to me. He put priests and judges in all the villages. Things are good where we pick up the story. The favor of God is on the kingdom. It's on their king at this point. All that is about to change. Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Menunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazan Tamar. This was another name for the Engedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. Pause right there. Pause. Let me just stop for a minute because Jehoshaphat does a great job handling the distress and the anxiety that under. But I just wanna let you know, if I was king of Judah at that time, and I heard this news, situational anxiety is happening pretty big for me right now. And let me let you into what my self-talk would sound like. Lord, why are you doing this? Have I not done everything you asked me to do? I removed all the shrines. I put the judges in place. More people are following you than when my father was king. This seems a bit unfair. Why are you doing this to me? It's because of that pact that I made with Ahab. Lord, I asked for your forgiveness for that. Have I not paid enough for that? What about all my friends that died in battle? I thought we yeah, I failed. I failed my people. You've got a better leader. You're taking me out. I deserve to be taken out. But what will my legacy be? What will they write about me? Lord, don't let this happen. And maybe when I'm done in my self-talk thinking that the world revolves around me, when I'm done catastrophizing, we are making this a word, when I'm done sitting under condemnation that is actually from the enemy, when I'm done trying to control the situation that I do so well, when maybe by the grace of God I take my thoughts finally captive, then I move forward and maybe then I deal with my stress and anxiety the ways that Jehoshaphat does here. And who knows, maybe he struggled just like I would. Maybe he had an anxious, restless night of sleep before he moved forward. But we see that he was troubled. We see that he was anxious and he begged the Lord for guidance. But what I want us to see today in his life are three things that he did. These are not magical steps that if you do, A plus B plus C, I guarantee freedom from anxiety. No, that is not what we're talking about today. Today we are simply looking at a good king's posture his posture and how he set himself up to walk through the struggle of distress and anxiety. And so we pick the story back up in verse three and we'll put it on the screen. In verse three, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord and he prayed. Oh Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. The first thing that I see Jehoshaphat do here is he appeals to God's sovereignty. He appeals to God's sovereignty. And this is a big deal. Because he declares it is your rule, it is your reign. The word reign is even there in sovereignty. This is a powerful word because he is saying to his God, you are the supreme authority. You have jurisdiction over the issues that I'm facing right now. This deal that these armies are coming, this is under your jurisdiction. I submit to your power. I declare that you are the one that is sovereign. I believe that trust can only rise when we look at who Christ is and we see his sovereignty in every situation. When we behold his power, when we behold his beauty, when we behold his majesty, it is a reminder of our place in the world, which I realize in itself can release anxiety for some of you. But stay with me. Because one of the reasons that we appeal to his sovereignty is so that when we see what the root cause of our anxiety is, when we call it for what it is, we can put it in its place and we can see where that is in comparison to his sovereignty. And that is a good place to be and a good posture to have. And that is what Jehoshaphat does. So how do we do this? How do we appeal to his sovereignty? There are multiple things that we can do to learn how to behold who God is better. But the best thing that I can think of, the way that we can implement this is by worshiping. And we'll worship in a couple minutes. And when we do, would you appeal to his sovereignty? Worship is what helps us fight through the struggle. Worship helps recenter us. It shows us his place in the battle. It says, you've done this before. Would you do it again? So I encourage you to worship through the struggle. Sing of his authority, his power, his majesty. And in faith, believe in his reign over your anxiety. During our family's difficult season, we would have worship music playing 24-7. We would just play it all the time. And really, it was these two Hillsong Hill albums that we were given. We would play it all the time. And let me tell you, they helped us recenter over and over. They helped us declare things that we were having trouble believing at the time about who God was. And honestly, to this day, I can't worship to those songs anymore. Partly because it was sacred for that season in life and partly because it gives me post-traumatic stress. I, honestly, I admit it. It was such a difficult season, but worship helped us push through that struggle. And can I encourage you, appeal to God's sovereignty and do so through worship. Jehoshaphat did. Second, back to our narrative, we pick it up in verse 10. And now we see the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and they did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us? for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. The second thing that I see Jehoshaphat do is he admits we are powerless and we do not know what to do. This is submissive humility. I can't, God, you can. Those of you that have gone through 12 steps, AA, life path, this is step one, right? Step one, we admit that we are powerless and don't know what to do when it applies to anxiety as well. Back to that prescriptive passage in First Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Church, we are told not to run from our anxiety. No, we don't numb from our anxiety. Nope, we resist with humility, the anxiety that we are struggling against. We come under God's mighty hand. We are to cast it on Christ. This verse has been big for me. First Peter five has always been big. But as I prepared for this, I realized that my way of thinking unconsciously was absolutely messed up and wrong. To cast my anxieties on God means that I need to like, like fishing, cast them far out. It means to cast, to like violently throw my anxieties onto God, implying that he is far away from me when I am struggling. But church, we have the, the word cast here is used one other time in scripture. It is used when the disciples go to get the cult that Christ is going to ride into town for the triumphal entry on. And they cast their cloaks onto the animal. They tie them. It says they literally tie them on to the animal. We are told to tie our anxieties onto our Lord and Savior, which means that he is in close proximity to us when we do it. We have done nothing that pushes him far away. He is there with us, walking through it with us. Church, casting your anxiety on God is not simply a step of obedience after you humble yourself. It's the process you take in order to humble yourself. Oftentimes, living in the Middle East, we would do these camping trips, and sometimes we would have a a donkey or a camel that would carry some of the equipment uh, uh, into the desert with you, and a lot of times, I remember one time hiking, and I remember I had a heavy pack on and I saw that camel and I didn't want to burden him with anything more because I feel bad for these camels even though they're horrible animals. And this camel, like I just remember and so I'm just walking with my pack and you're walking in sand that's not like compact and it takes a little more out of you than you think. And so like the two mile mark, my pride began to dissipate. I said, you know what? Mr. Camel, I'm going to tie my pack on you. You were created to carry these types of things. You have a perseverance and ability to be able to do this. I gladly give you my pack. Church, oftentimes it is our pride that we want to carry it as long as we can. But can I encourage you to let Christ carry the heavy baggage. And when you do, understand it's actually worship and it's humble submission. So let him carry the bags. Admit you are powerless and don't know what to do. It is freeing. I can't, God, you can. Back to the narrative, and we pick it up again in verse 13. Verse 13, as the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children, they were all there. The spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, the Levite, who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen king jehoshaphat listen this is what the lord says do not be afraid do not be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours but is god's the third and final thing that i see the posture that jehoshaphat takes he deals with the distress and the anxiety in community he seeks the counsel of others as he walks through the struggle church don't fight this battle alone Don't struggle by yourself, do it in community. Discernment happens best when others are involved. There in community, it took a prophet of the Lord, Jahaziel, the only time he's mentioned in scripture, to help recenter the people, to bring a new level of encouragement to them. And oftentimes when we are stuck in the spiral of our anxious thoughts, we need someone to pull us out, or we need to courageously go to others so that we can get a better picture of the reality that surrounds us. When our family went through that season, many of our good friends actually left our city. Many of them returned to Australia and Britain and the US and many of them returned because they were dealing with anxiety and panic themselves and could not no longer stay. But we said, we need help. We are at a low point. We are a dark season. So we traveled two weekends up to the Capitol, four hours through the desert so we could surround ourselves with some safe community that we had known for years. And we said, we need help. We need you to pull us out. Should we stay? Should we go? Hear on God. Hear from God on our behalf. Speak to us. Worship with us. Pray over us. We need your help. Church, we need safe community to process this. And can I say that as a church, we have done so much better in learning that it's okay to talk about anxiety and depression. But there are still too many groups, too many families that still place place this strange stigma on anxiety and depression sufferers. They don't understand it. The empathy isn't there. And to those of you that still place that stigma on your loved ones, that still place that level of judgment on people, It's to you and not the anxiety strugglers today that we say, stop it, stop it. Church, we have to be open and honest about this struggle because many are dealing with it in our numbers here and it is crippling. And we need to create trustworthy, non-judgmental, safe communities where we can process together, where we can be open and honest, where we can find healing and be re-centered in community. It was a gift that Jehoshaphat had. Community was vital then, and community is vital for us. So find that safe community and don't journey along. The story of Jehoshaphat ends really well. And we don't have time to read the rest of the story, but let me summarize what happens. They hear that they are supposed to go ahead and march into battle against this army that's way bigger than they are. These three people groups that have combined to come after them. But they are told to actually lead the soldiers into army with a group of worshipers that will lead the way. And so they get the worshipers together and the worshipers lead the way. And when they get to where they can see the armies, they declare these words, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. What happens next is those words are spoken, the worship is lifted. He is received as the majestic one, the one over all things. And all those armies turn on one another in confusion and fight each other thinking that they're fighting the army that's coming. And peace and victory are theirs. It's a beautiful ending to the story. Peace is restored. And for many of you, peace has been restored to you. You have gone through seasons of anxiety that have dissipated. Some of you have battled with chronic anxiety, with chronic levels of depression, and it has been gone. It has been healed in Jesus' name. And we rejoice with you in that. And I ask you to tell your testimony to other people because that releases new levels of faith. But there are many in this room who don't have the happy ending that Jehoshaphat has. You have not had that peace yet restored. And you are struggling, and you are persevering, and you're trying to just make it through the next day. And some of you have conquered it to a level, but you still have a fear that it might come back again and will you have the strength to beat it the next time and you're in this room and I get it Psalm 40 is one of my favorite Psalms. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He took me out of the mud and the mire. He put my feet on solid ground. Later it says, He gave me a new song. And you are here today and you just want that new song. And you're just waiting for the new song and you're sick and tired of waiting for the new song. But we cannot forget that Psalm starts with a man of God, a man who is just loved by his Savior, a mighty man saying, I waited patiently. And so to those of you that are still waiting patiently, one, I'm sorry that it hasn't come yet, but I bless you with perseverance. I bless you with courage as you wait for that new song. And when patience is running low, can I just encourage you, keep walking. It is a battle. It is complex. Understand that the root causes are likely numerous, but also declare that he is sovereign. Declare that he is sovereign and you are powerless and find a safe community as you continue to journey. Church, we've committed that as we preach through anxiety in these next couple of Sundays, that every time we do, we're also going to extend an offering for healing. And those of you that have been attending Salem Lions for any amount of time here in the recent years, we've seen God break out in physical, emotional, and mental healing over and over again. And we've been reading these testimonies. And the good news is we believe and we know God still heals. And we know that on the cross, he paid for not only our sin and our shame, but also for our sickness. And the good news today is that all those different underlying reasons that were in that pie chart, all of those, he paid for all of those with his death and resurrection. His blood covers all of those. We don't need to discern which ones or which combination of they are. We simply need to have faith and ask our Father God to heal us. And so today I extend that invitation to you. And if you are here today and you are battling anxiety, And in faith, you want to stand and see if God wants to show up and heal you. Would you stand now so that we can pray for you? Would you just go ahead and stand where you are? Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your faith. Church, those of you that are are around these people, would you just extend your hands towards these people? And would you join me in praying for our brothers and sisters who are standing in faith? Jesus, we declare that you are a God that still heals today. And so come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I look here and I see many dear brothers and sisters that are longing for freedom. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would show up. I pray that you would extend your healing hand, not because of anything they've done, not because they're just good people or they've earned it because they haven't. Simply extend your hand to them because of your love for them. Would you see them now? And would you just give them a healing touch? Lord, for those that are battling and, and it's a physical thing and, and things neurons are messed up, chemicals are being fired from glands at the wrong time, Lord, I just pray that you'd straighten that all out. I pray physical healing over them now in Jesus' name. For those that it's a family thing that's been passed down from generation to generation, I break that generational deal right now in Jesus' name. For those that can't sleep and are battling insomnia, I break that in Jesus' name. I pray healing and deep rest over you. For those of you that are struggling and fear is gripping you, I just bless you with the peace of Christ. Jesus, come, see your people and come and heal because you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.